Have you, ever, have you ever had that experience of getting the wind knocked out of you? Like when you were a little kid, usually it happens. You know, you're, you're climbing a tree or you're playing baseball or you're wrestling or you're doing something and you fall and like the wind gets knocked out of you. And it's this moment where you, you're, you're, you're not dying, like you're okay, but you don't know that, right? And you're, especially when it first happens to you and you can't breathe. And you're like, like doing that. Um, this happened recently to my nine-year-old. And of course, it had never happened to him before. And I know what's happening to him, but he doesn't know it. And, and it's a little, freaks you out a little bit, right? When you get the wind knocked out of you, then it's kind of hard to get back into doing whatever it was you were doing, right? Because you've, now you're off your game. Now you've lost a little confidence. You know, you don't quite know if you should get back and do that thing that you were just doing because you just had this experience of getting the wind knocked out of you. And what are you going to do? And uh, it, it turns out that this doesn't end uh, when we're little kids on the playground. This happens all throughout the rest of our lives uh, in, a, in a metaphorical way, okay? This is, is, we have these experiences in life that throw us off track. We have these experiences that happen sometimes in life that knock the wind out of us. We're tracking, we're going down a path, we're doing, you know, okay, things are going fine, but then something happens and we go, oh gosh, you know, now I'm off kilter. I've kind of lost my confidence. I'm not quite sure if, you know, I should get back in and do what I was doing because I just got the wind knocked out of me. Um, it can happen in all kinds of different ways. It can happen on a job. There's a sudden layoff or there's a disappointing a job review or you bombed a test or you had a relationship that went bust or there's a, somebody lets you down or there's a failure or your child does something you weren't expecting or there's all different kinds of ways that it can happen for us. But when it happens, it throws us off track. It knocks the wind out of us and we go, I'm, I don't know. Can I get back in the game? We have that moment of like panic, like can't breathe. Can I get back in the game? Can I keep doing what I was doing? Uh, in 2015, there was a, a football player. Some of you may know his name. His name is Nick Foles. And Nick Foles uh, was having a very, very bad year. Um, first of all, he had signed with the uh, St. Louis Rams. So he was having a very, very bad year. Um, no, he had, a, he had a two-year contract with the St. Louis Rams. He was going to be the lead quarterback. He had a pretty good, pretty good contract. But that year, he just was blowing it. I mean, interceptions, losing games that he should have won, not completing passes, just having a bad game. And finally, the coach said, you know what? I got to sideline you. I got to bench you. And so Nick Foles got put on the bench midway through uh, the first year of his contract with St. Louis Rams. Bad year, just failure, disappointment, got the wind knocked out of him. Uh, and it, it, it turns out that before that, he was actually a really, really good play player. One game, he had thrown seven touchdowns in one game. Another game, he had thrown like over 400 yards. So he'd, he had had this kind of, you know, glorious moment in the sun as a, as a football player, as a quarterback. But then suddenly things just weren't working out for him. Got benched and he really wasn't quite sure what to do. He didn't, you know, he asked to be released from his contract after a year with the St. Louis Rams. And they were more than happy to oblige. They're like, we will certainly release you, you know. If you don't want to be paid $12 million for screwing us up, then fine. You know, we, we, we will let you go. So they let him go. Um, then he ended up signing f as a second string quarterback with the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, and this was at an 85% de decrease in his salary. So, I mean, just imagine that, right? You, you, you're, you ask to be released from one job because you're blowing it. You don't know what to do. And then you take another job and they go, sure, but at 15% of, of what you were making before. And so he, he's on the sidelines with the Kansas City Chiefs. He's in the background. There's another quarterback. 
And he just sits on the bench, essentially, for, for that year. And things are not going well for him. And so at the end of that year, uh, the Chiefs had an opportunity to, to re-sign him, to re-up his contract. And they're like, no thanks. You know, like, no, we're not going to re-up. So now he doesn't have a job, doesn't know what he's going to do. Uh, and what he did was really interesting because he did three things that were pretty smart. First thing he did was he prayed. He started praying and going, all right, God, I need to, I need to know what I should do. I mean, should I retire? Should I just bail out of this? I mean, am I just done, right? That's what he did first. Second thing he did was he talked to his wife. So that's a good thing to do, right? Right behind God, you need to talk to your wife and go, you know, all right. Uh, and so he talked to his wife. And the third thing is he went fishing. He took his brother-in-law and he goes, you know what, let's go fly fishing. They went out for a few days out in the woods, camping, fishing, praying, thinking, talking, you know, God, what do you want me to do? And at some point in that process, he realized more than anything in the world that what he really wanted to do was to get back in the game of football. He did not want his career to end on a failure. He did not want to, to just quit because things weren't going his way. He desired more than anything to get back into the game. Simon Peter, who we have been studying and walking with in the imperfect steps of faith for the last several weeks, we see a pattern with him. And it's sort of similar to this pattern of this football player. Simon often starts off doing great. Like we saw when we met him at the beginning of the series, he was walking on the water. He was actually performing a miracle that none of us have ever performed. I mean, I haven't. Maybe some of you have. I, you know, I would want a documentation of that. But he, he, he like performed miracles. He was being called the rock upon which God, Christ was building his church. I mean, he had this, like, he was doing great, but then something happened, and things not, started to not go so well for him. He had an opportunity to stand up for Jesus, and he failed. Remember, he denied him. I don't know him. I don't know him. Three times. I don't know him. I don't know him. And then Jesus was killed. And then Jesus was buried and Peter was just distraught and things were going horribly for him. And then last week during Easter, we discovered, you know, we, we read about Jesus rising from the dead and Jesus appeared to Simon and to the other disciples, but he didn't specifically point Simon out and go, hey man, I know you've been totally blowing it while I was arrested and dying and everything, but you're, you're, everything's cool. He didn't, you know, he didn't do that. And so Simon has had the wind knocked out of him. And so Simon is going, what do I do now? Like, do I get back? Am I, am I still on the team? Like, am I still allowed to play? Or like, am I benched now? Because I've really blown it. And I've really been sidelined. And I don't know what to do. And so we're gonna explore today what theologians call the restoration of Peter. And the restoration of Peter is this moment in Simon Peter's life where Jesus meets Simon after the resurrection and basically renews and restores and reconciles him. And if you have ever been in a situation, or maybe you're in one now, and if you've never been and you're not now, you will be at some point where you have had the wind knocked out of you in life, you will. And so at some point in your life, you're going to have to do what Jesus tells Simon to do, and that's the title of my message today, that is get back in the game. Get back in the game. When we meet Simon, He's, un, he's disoriented. He doesn't know what to do. And so he does what he used to do. He turns to the other disciples, and here's what he says. Guys, I'm going fishing. He does, the, he does what, he does what Nick, Nick did. He goes, I'm going fishing. Simon Peter told the other disciples, and they said, we'll go with you. I love this because Simon still has this 
kind of a leadership role with the disciples, even though it's just going fishing. He says, I'm going to go fishing. Uh, they said, we'll go with you. They got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. A couple things I just want to point out here real quick. First is, when we, when we fail at something, what we tend to do is go back to that which is familiar. Right? When we mess up in some area of life and we're not sure how to move forward, we usually revert back to what we were doing before. Right? So we, instead of taking another risk, we go back with our routine. We end up going back to the thing that we used to do because even though it's not fruitful, it's familiar. And there's a certain comfort in us doing that which is familiar. But in this case, we see going back to what you were doing before does not produce the results that you would like. They go out fishing, they catch nothing. If you have ever, if, if you have ever stepped into what God has for you and you've begun to move forward in your spiritual life and you begin to grow in your faith and then something happens that throws you off and you try to go back to what you were doing before, it will not be fruitful. I'll just put it that way. You will, it will be an empty shell of what God has for you because God doesn't want you to step back. He wants you to step forward. He wants you to stay in the game. So they go, they're not catching anything. But then early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. Now this happens several times throughout the, after the resurrection. They keep seeing Jesus, but they're not sure that it's him. Sometimes the divine shows up in ordinary clothes in your life. Sometimes something that just seems mundane and regular you should pay attention to that because sometimes God just shows up in ways that we're not expecting. In fact, if I were a disciple and I kept seeing Jesus show up in these ways, eventually any unfamiliar person that I see, I go, maybe that's Jesus, right? Because he just keeps showing up and they don't recognize him. So Jesus calls out to them. Now he's standing on the shore. They're in the boat. He calls out to them and he says, friends, haven't you caught any fish? And I love how he does it. He does it in the negative. He's, I think he's kind of, I don't think he's digging at him. I think he, I don't know what the tone of voice is, but he's like, so guys, not catching any fish, huh? Right? If you look through the Gospels, what you discover is the disciples never catch fish unless Jesus helps them. I mean, the whole time. These guys are professional fishermen. And he's always like, put it on the other side. Or, you know, and he's like, guys, so you guys haven't caught any fish? So he's reminding them, right? I'm the, I'm, I'm the Lord of the land and the sea, right? So here's what he says. Oh, no, they answer, we didn't catch any. He says, Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Let me tell you this, and I won't have time to preach this, but at some point, there is a blessing in obedience. There's a blessing in obeying what God has for you. It's, it's your life is, we did a series on this, your life is better when you obey the principles and the truths of God's word. Doesn't mean it's always easier doesn't mean that, you know, it's going to be without problems. But that's why Jesus, his most famous sermon, he begins every sentence in, with blessed. Blessed are the, blessed are the, blessed are the, right? Because he's saying, look, if you will follow my words, there's a blessing attached to obedience. He says, throw your nets on the other side. They do. They catch so many fish, they can't even haul them in. Uh, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple, whom Jesus loved, if you were here last week, we remember, this is John. This is a humble brag. You know, I'm, Jesus loves me, you know, more than you. Um, the disciple that Jesus loves says to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off. And I love this. And he jumps into 
the water. Every time Jesus comes near Peter, Peter jumps out of a boat. It's just this thing, right? He's like, Jesus, you know. This time, he's not trying to walk on the water. They're like 100 yards from shore, so the water's up to here. He's got his robe like hanging off of him. It's hot. He's fishing. He puts it in. He jumps in because he just so badly wants to be near Jesus. And here's what I think we learned from Simon in this moment. This is for you. This is for me. Restoration begins with desire. If you really want to get back in the game, if, you really, if, if, if God is going to be able to restore you and renew you and reconcile you, you have to want it. You have to desire it. And you, he can't want it more than you. There's got to be a sense of desire. There's got to be a sense of, and you know, God, restore me. Renew me. Uh, uh, as the deer pants for the water, the psalmist writes, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for thee. God longs to restore those who long to be restored. That's why he says seek. That's why he says knock. That's why he says ask, because he wants you to want him. He desires for you to desire him. He wants to restore you. He, wa he wants to redeem Peter. He wants to reconcile Peter, but he also wants Peter to want it, right? And, and, and we see in this moment, Peter wants it, man. Peter, what I love about Peter is Wherever we see him, he just keeps lunging towards God, lunging towards Jesus. When he's going into the tomb, he goes straight into the tomb. When he sees Jesus on the water, he runs out of the boat. He, whatever it is, he's going for it. And we have a tendency, I have a tendency, some of you might have this tendency too, is once we have been harmed or once we've been hurt or once we've failed or once we've blown it in some area of life, the fear sort of crystallizes in an armor of cynicism around us. Because if you're cynical, then it doesn't seem like you're afraid. You know, it just seems like, Psh, I don't care, right? In fact, the, the, I think of cynicism as the, is like the exoskeleton of fear. Whenever you meet somebody who's cynical and who sort of scoffs and mocks, you know, it's somebody who is deeply wounded. It's somebody who has been hurt so many times that they've given up on wanting to get back into the game, and they have now decided that they are going to protect themselves on the sideline with an armor of cynicism. And they will, they will sit back, and they will armchair quarterback from the sideline all day. And they will, you know, but they'll never risk it. They'll never step in themselves. Here's what Jesus is saying to you. If you really want to be on mission, if you really want to fulfill the purpose that he has for you, if you really want to be the rock again, then you've got to want it. And it takes courage to want it. It takes courage to ask. It takes courage to put yourself out there. It takes courage to seek God. It, you know, it's very easy to be cynical about, oh, God has a plan for you and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, right. No, it's really hard to go, God, I want, I want it. I want to be who you want me to be. I want to become the person you want me to be. I'm coming after you. Because the, the thing is, Jesus could have rejected him. That's the problem with risk is it, it could bomb on you right? Jesus could go, no, 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 Simon. Remember when I gave you the opportunity and you said you didn't know me? And you didn't say it once, you said it three times, remember? There's another guy, the disciple I love, and he's right over there, right? And I'm going with him now, and you're on the bench, dude, right? You know, he could have done that, but, but, and that's the risk Peter takes, but Peter says, no, I want it. If you are going to be restored and reconciled and renewed, it's got to begin with you. It has got to begin with you. Some of us long for it for other people in our lives, but they don't long for it. And we can't want it more than them. 
We can't long for their redemption more than they long for it. At some point, it's got to be in your own heart. You go, I want it. I want it. So, um, so the other disciples, so Jesus, uh, Simon's out in the water. And so think of it like this. He's like plunging through the water, running towards Jesus. The other disciples are coming up in the boat, uh, followed in the boat. They're towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. Um, when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Now, I want to get into the weeds for just a second here. This is, there are two times in the Bible where we see this phrase, a coal fire, right? So this is a charcoal fire. We only see this, this phrase two times in the entire Bible. The first one happened just a few days ago. And around that charcoal fire, Peter denied Jesus three times. Jesus builds a charcoal fire, and this is where Jesus says, I'm going to invite you back to the environment, to the, to, the, uh, to, to, to the situation where you failed, because this is where I'm going to restore you. I'm going to bring you back into your mistakes so that you can experience your mission. I'm going to, take the, I'm going to remind you of the mess, not because I want to rub it in, but because you need to address that before you can move forward. In other words, to advance the mission, you've got to acknowledge the mistakes. If, you're, if you play sports, if you're on a football team, one thing they do every single, after every single game, win or lose, the coaches and the players get together and they watch game tape. They watch, they, they, have, they video the entire game and they watch in painful detail. Some of you are coaches and you know this. They watch in slow-mo. They watch in painful, am I right? They watch in painful detail. The, <laughs> it's more painful when you lose, right? But you watch every mistake. Why? Not because you want your players to feel bad. Not because you want to rub it in. Not because you want to, you know, because you're mean. Because you don't want them to make the same mistake again. Because they're going to go back and play again. And so what Jesus is saying to Simon is, I'm going to bring you back to where you denied me three times. I'm not, it's, desire is necessary, but it's not sufficient. You can't just want it and then go, well, forget about my past. I'm going forward, right? Will, G, will God forgive you of your past? Absolutely. Will he wash your past clean? Absolutely. Will he just make it go away? Absolutely. But you are likely to make the same mistake in the future unless you acknowledge it and recognize the pattern that you have of making the mistake. And this is Simon's deal. Simon keeps making the same kinds of mistakes over and over. He's proud. He's full of hubris. He's, he's overly confident in himself. He's always saying, I've got this. I can do this. And then, bam, he gets hit over and over again with his own mistakes. So Jesus goes, I'm bringing you to the fire. We're going to watch some game tape because I don't want you to go do this again, Simon. Because next time, guess what? I'm not going to be here in the flesh. I'm going, to, I'm going to be with the Father on the throne. And so I need you to get this right this time. I want you to acknowledge those mistakes. I want you to check them out. This is why we have life groups. This is why we have... Uh, um, uh, we support uh, Christian counselors. This is why we encourage people to get in community with other people. Because a lot of times you don't see your own mistakes. And other people around you can help you see them and acknowledge them and move forward with them. So he says, I want you to move forward with the mission, but you've got to acknowledge the mistakes. So Jesus says to them, to the other disciples, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So I'm not going to dwell on this, but this is kind of an interesting moment. Jesus already has some loaves and fish 
right there. He's got the fire going. He's cooking up some breakfast. He's got some toast. He's got some fish. And they're cooking. And then he says, you guys bring me the other fish that you caught. And last time they ate loaves and fishes together, remember, the disciples brought a few loaves and fishes from the little boy, and then Jesus multiplied it. This time, Jesus has a few loaves and fishes, and he goes, you guys bring the other fish, right? Here's what he's saying. I can do the miracle myself, but I want to do the miracle through you. I can, I can do, I've got the power to do it, but I want to empower you to do it because I'm leaving and it's going to be up to you. This is, this is your, this is you now. This is why we're called the body of Christ because he goes, I am stepping away in the flesh. You are now me collectively in the flesh. So I want you to start multiplying, not just me. So it says, bring some fish, uh, bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter climbs back into the boat, drags the net ashore. This is, this is where you start to really see his, his desire because he just so badly wants to be, you know, he jumps out of the boat, runs through the water. Can I come? Yeah, get some fish. Runs back into the water, gets the boat, gets the fish. I mean, he just so longs to be back in God's good, in Jesus' good graces. Goes back, drags the net ashore. It was full of large fish. Interesting detail. Actually, there were 153 fish in the net. In case you were wondering, how many, I wonder how many fish they caught. They caught 153. Um, the commentators do all kinds of stuff with this. They like, you know, some people have done, oh, what you do is you take the square root and you divide it by three and multiply it by this and whatever, and it's, it's the number of the Trinity. It's like, you know, whatever. I mean, they come up with all kinds of numerology and whatever. I think it means that there were 153 fish in the, in the, in the net. And um, actually, I think what it was is like, there were so many fish that John is like, how many fish did we catch? Let's count them. And they counted them. And he's like, there were 153 fish, you know. When, a, when an important thing happens in life, you're interested in the details, you know. When you have a child, you don't go, eh, it's about this, about this tall, about, eh, so heavy. Yeah, you're like, seven pounds, two ounces, 21 and a half inches long. And you know what I mean? It's like, remember the details, right? Um, Easter Sunday, by the way, you guys brought your friends, you brought your family. There were 841 people at church on Easter Sunday. I kind of remember that number. And, and um, yeah, it was awesome. When our dream team consisted of Rebecca and I and two children under the age of two, um, you kind of remember that time when there were 841 people at church. So, uh, so there are 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus says to them, come and have breakfast. This is like in my top five lines in the Bible. First of all, I love breakfast. It's my favorite meal. But, but like Jesus is cooking breakfast for them, and he's like, Come and have breakfast. I love that. So, like, this is my version of heaven. If, it, if Jesus said this to me, I would say, um, well, first of all, there's no cholesterol in heaven, so that's good. I would say um, fried catfish, a two eggs over medium, home fries with bell peppers and onions, sourdough toast with some butter and strawberry, jam, um, black coffee, one sugar. Thank you. And then we would have breakfast. Um, so he says, come and have breakfast. They come and have breakfast. When they finish eating, Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? You remember last time when he said, Simon, son of John, Simon Barjona. Remember, if you guys have been here for this series, last time he did this, it was, it was during the, uh, right before he told him, I'm gonna change your name to Peter the Rock. And he was com comparing and contrasting. And he's doing it again. Do you love me more than these? What he's doing is this. Simon, 
Do you want to be Simon, son of Jonah, the fisherman? Or do you want to be Peter, the rock, fisher of men? You get to make the call, Simon. You get to make the choice. You can either go back to that which is familiar and not risky because there's not that much risk in being a fisherman. No one's going to, no one's going to, to, to uh, crucify you for being a fisherman on the Sea of Galilee. But if you want to be Peter the rock, there's going to be some risk involved. There's going to be some challenges ahead of you. There's going to be some difficulties. Do you love these or do you love me? Do you love the old life or do you want the new life? Do you want to go back to the fish and the nets and the boats and the thing which is familiar but not that fruitful? Or do you want to go to the thing which is fruitful but might make you a little fearful? Which one do you want? Who do you want to be, Simon? Which one? And he says, do you, the, the, and the question is, do you love me more than these? And that's, that's the criteria. Do you love me more than these? And then Simon says, um, yes, Lord, yes. He says, you know that I love you. And I want to pause on this for one second because Something's happening in the Greek that you can't see in the English. There's two different words being used for love. Jesus uses the big word for love, the, the kind of like divine love. It's the word agape, and you've heard this phrase before in the Greek. Jesus says, do you agape me? Like, do you totally, totally, completely love me? Now, normally, Peter's routine is to go, yeah, of course. And in fact, I love you so much more than these bozos that they might betray you, but I never will. You know what I mean? This time he doesn't do that. He uses a lower word. He says, yes, Lord, I filio you, which means filio is like brotherly love. So he's even in his responses started to, starting to become humble. He knows that every time that he has made these outrageous boasts and these outrageous claims and he's going to be this incredible guy, every time he's done that, bam, he's hit a wall. His pride cometh before a fall and he keeps falling, keeps blowing it. And this time he goes, yes, I do love you. But he's going, I love you like to my ability. You know, I don't know. I'm not going to brag and say that I agape you. And I'm just going to say that I love you, brotherly love you. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful change in his, in his demeanor. Yes, he says, I love you. And then Jesus says this, then feed my lambs. If you love me, then feed my lambs. And this could be the very end of this exchange. But Jesus goes again. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of, John, uh, son of John, do you love me? And he answered again, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. This could have been the end. But Jesus goes in one more time. The third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? This time Jesus softens it up and he gives him the filio. He goes, okay, I'm gonna stop, I'm gonna stop challenging you with the agape. Do you filio me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? Because Peter now, I mean, he's a wreck. He wants to be back in the game so bad, he can taste it. He's running out, getting fish, bringing them back. He's all wet. You know, he's sweating. And it's just, it's, and he goes, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things and you know I love you. 
You know, Jesus said, feed my sheep. Here's what I want you to do, Simon. I want you to feed my sheep. Here's what he's saying. Restoration comes with responsibility. Okay? I'm going to restore you. I'm going to bring you back in. I'm going to forgive you. But I'm not doing it just for you. I'm doing it so that you can go do it for others. I don't, it's not about you, Simon. It's not about you're the best disciple. You're the greatest disciple. You're better than all the other guys. It's not about that. It's about you serving somebody else. It's about, I'm going to renew you. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to reconcile you for you, but not just for you. I'm going to do it so that you become an agent of redemption and renewal and reconciliation in the world. I am healing you so that you can be a source of healing for others. If you love me, feed my sheep. I'm going to take you out of being a fisherman and I'm going to take you into feeding my people. Be, be a, a, a teacher. Be a leader. Pour it out. Serve somebody else. Help somebody else. Be a part of, of bringing somebody else up. It's not about you anymore, Peter. It's about me now. And here's the way you make it about me is you use what I've given you and you use that to serve somebody else. And you use that to love somebody else. And you use that to care for somebody else. That's what it means. When, when a Nick Foles signed on with, uh, a- after this, you know, this back and forth, do I retire, do I, what do I do? He ended up signing on in uh, 2017 with the Philadelphia Eagles as a second string quarterback. And there was another guy, his name's Carson Wentz. He was the lead quarterback. And when you read the interviews with Nick Foles, he's going, my job is to help Carson. Carson's a great quarterback and I'm here to drill with him, throw the ball with him, help him, whatever he needs. He's the guy and I'm second string and my job is now just to serve him and help him and, and do the best that I can do to make him the best player that he can be. But in about midway through the year, Carson Wentz tears his ACL and Nick Foles hears from his coach the words that he has been dying to hear for the last several years. He hears his coach say, hey, Nick, I want you to get back in the game. So Nick Foles gets back in the game for the Philadelphia Eagles And I don't know if any of you watched this game, but in February, February 5th of this year, Nick Foles led the Philadelphia Eagles to to their first Super Bowl victory in the history of the franchise. He threw three, three touchdowns. He threw for over 373 yards. He's the first quarterback ever to both catch a ball, catch a touchdown, and throw a touchdown in a Super Bowl. I mean, to the amazement of everybody in the world, He got back in the game and he killed it. Now, I'm not saying that God made Philadelphia Eagles win the Super Bowl, all right? But he didn't make them lose. That's all I'm saying. No, No, but the point is whether win or lose, this was that moment for this guy who was disoriented, who had gotten the wind knocked out of him, who didn't know which way to turn, who didn't know which way to go. And in his heart of hearts, he's a Christian, in his heart of hearts, he knew that God was calling him back into the game. I want to end with this. I want to read you this quote um, from Nick Foles from an interview that he did after the Super Bowl. He said, I was going to stop playing the game two years ago. There were things going on in my life and in my career, and I lost the joy of the game. I didn't touch a football for a long time, he said, but I prayed about it, and I realized that the tougher decision, the thing I was most afraid of, was to go back and play. I knew that to grow, I had to go back in and face that fear 
and face my failures. It was a tough decision, but when I took a step of faith, he said it was like a veil was lifted and joy came back in my heart. And that's what makes us strong, overcoming our failures. Today, some of you have had the wind knocked out of you in life and you've experienced things that you're not even quite sure what to do with in your career, in your family, in your relationship. And you're hesitant and reluctant to try again because of the risk, because of the failure, because of the past. And today God is saying to some of you, through the story of Simon Peter, I'm going to heal you, I'm going to restore you, I'm going to redeem you, because I want you to get back in the game. I've got a mission for you, I've got a vision for you, I've got a plan for you. I want you to get back after it. You've let some things fall away because you don't want to look at them. And you're afraid. And maybe you've gotten a little hardened. And maybe you've become a little bit cynical. And maybe you've kind of got on the sidelines. You've taken the bench. And you're not quite sure if you're ready to step back out there. And God is going, I got you. I've got you. We're going to examine the mistakes. We're going to work on making sure we don't do the same thing over and over. Make sure you don't make the same mistake over and over. But I want you to get back in the game. Can you imagine what life becomes when people do this as a church family, as a community? And they go, my God, you know, God, God is redeeming us and he's restoring us and he's reconciling us because he has a vision for the world and we're the plan to enact the vision. Not just us in this building. I mean, his body, his people, his followers. He's saying, I want you to be renewed and restored and reconciled. That looks like, that looks like a transformed world. That looks like a world where people that would have nothing to do with each other start to love one another and care for one another and serve each other and look after each other. It looks like a world where the things that we thought were dead come back to life. Where relationships that we thought were just destroyed start to be renewed. When a group of people are willing to do this together. The question is, for you, where does God want you to get back in the game? What part of your life have you allowed to, to die? What part of your life have you allowed to get crusted over with cynicism and, and, and hardness? And he goes, I, I want to restore that. I want to redeem that. I want to renew that. Where have you gotten the wind knocked out of you? And you go, okay, I panicked a little bit. I couldn't breathe very, very well. But I can breathe again. And I'm back on my feet. And I'm going to step into what you have for me. That's the question for you. That's the question for you. Are you ready to get back in the game? Let me pray for you. Father, thank you. for your word and for your strength. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your power. Thank you, God, that you are strong when we're weak. Thank you, God, for, for breaking open a vision for our life that is so much bigger than the vision that we have for ourselves. Thank you for giving us faith 
when all we had was fear. Thank you for showing us who you are in the midst of the mess that we're in. Thank you, God, for giving us the desire to pursue you. And thank you for taking us back to our own mistakes and failures so that they can be transformed and changed into your mission. And God, we just thank you today for for Simon Peter and, and for his example to us of being in pursuit of you and desiring you imperfectly, but coming after you passionately with love. And we thank you for restoring him and we thank you for restoring us and redeeming us and reconciling us that we might be agents of reconciliation in the world. God, help us to get off the sidelines, to get off the bench and to get back in the game. Father, we pray that you would receive honor, praise, and glory from our actions, our thoughts, and our words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen.